Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to the B Plus Plus podcast, uh, a podcast where we speak to founders and CEOs, and we try to understand how they are helping the businesses, uh, consumers, and the community. And today we are very honored to have uh, Sharon Melamed, who is the founder and managing director of uh, Matchboard, Matchboard.com.au. You should go check it out. We are going to start using this service very soon, and uh, it's one of those really. incredible stories of how a visionary founder can be ahead of uh, their times and think of something which the world wasn't ready for so welcome sharon welcome to the podcast thank you so much avi i'm really honored to be here yeah and uh, we've been reading up about uh, you know the multi award winner uh, matchboard and the multi award winner sharon melamed <laughs> so uh, <laughs> tell us a bit more how did the journey start and how did you think of uh, matchboard long before the left and right swipes of the dating world Yes, well, it's interesting. Matchboard actually started in September two thousand and twelve, which was exactly the same month that Tinder started, yeah. uh, which we've all heard of. And uh, funnily enough, um, before I met my husband, I did myself, I confess, have three months' experience on a dating site, <laughs> which uh, turned out not to produce a husband, but to produce an idea for my business, Matchboard, right. which is like a business equivalent of a dating site. So what we do is we match up buyers with suppliers of a whole variety of business services ranging from digital marketing to call centers to offshore staffing. Um and I started this business 8 years ago really to solve a problem, I guess like any entrepreneur um wanting to provide a solution to make people's lives better. Um I saw a problem which probably most of your listeners have experienced which is the frustration you get when you go on a search engine you type in a few keywords and you get like a million results served back at you and you're like oh my god what do I do with all this do I just stick with the ones on page 1 that are um probably very good at SEO or have a budget to advertise to be there um but are they really the perfect match for my needs and really it's an incredible effort to scroll through all the options to try to work out who's a good fit for your particular need so i saw the idea of putting in filters rather than keywords um just like on a dating site you might put in you know tall dark handsome whatever <laughs> um you can put filters in a business sense like you know what's the service you need what's the budget that you have what's the location you're in what's the industry experience you require and really narrow down that um that list of perfect match results to a manageable handful so that's the concept of matchboard well that's a fabulous concept and like i said i didn't know about matchboard you know till our team was uh, researching and then we found out about matchboard and my first instinct was i sent the link to our uh, marketing and sales teams and i said we have to start using this service so i can absolutely understand you know how useful it is and in fact in a in a lot of ways it's uh, you know two birds with one stone because uh, like you rightly mentioned usually you know uh, the internet searches uh, are sort of victims of who has the seo budgets and whose websites are absolutely uh, you know seo optimized and who is spending all that money but there are a lot of quality providers out there so in a way it's a great lead gen tool for suppliers as well isn't it 
Oh, absolutely. So um, for some of the suppliers we work with, and we work with several hundred, um, we are their primary source of new business. For right. others, you know, who might be extremely picky about the sort of leads they get, you know, it might be one or two clients a year that they win through the platform. But um, what we are very um, particular about is providing value to the suppliers that sign up um, and um, making sure that every year they're getting new business um, to stay engaged with our platform. Because there are a lot of marketplaces out there, um, particularly in the B2B world, where you know they might have 10,000, 20,000, or even millions of suppliers, but then they only have a tiny percentage of that, maybe 10% of that number as buyers, which means that the majority of people on the platform who supply a service are not getting any value. And that just doesn't seem right to me. So we have an internal KPI that 85% of our new suppliers receive new business within the first three months of joining Matchboard. It's always a chicken and the egg with these two-sided marketplaces, but um, both sets of customers, the buyers and suppliers, are equally important and we show our love and our dedication to both. I mean, that's fabulous in the sense, uh, you know, very rarely do we hear things like KPIs to help out, uh, you know, the target group. So that's, that's, that's wonderful. And like you said, you know, you started the business, uh, you know, to solve a problem. And I think you've uh, somehow magically uh, managed to maintain that over the years. So that's very refreshing to hear. Um, and uh, I just wanted to understand a bit more about the you know, business model and the monetization model, if you could uh, talk to us a bit more about it. Yes. So when I started Matchboard, I um, very much wanted to put skin in the game and back myself with the idea of this um, business matchmaking and, and say to the suppliers, you only have to pay us if you win a deal. Right. Whereas most of the other platforms uh, around the world that are in this type of space, um, charge their suppliers per lead. Right. So every time they match them with a lead, they pay a fee, regardless of whether that lead is a tire kicker or, um, you know, a junk lead. And that just didn't seem right to me. And when I spoke to the market, and that's absolutely what you've got to do when you start a business is speak to the potential customers, um, is ask them what model suited them. And everyone told me, look, we are going to pay you on success and we're happy to pay handsomely. We just don't, we're sick of paying per click and per lead and that sort of approach, uh, which has um, not so much a correlation with actual outcomes. Um, and just before I was launching the business, you know, I was consulting with a number of very experienced business people, getting their feedback as well. And they told me I'm absolutely crazy with this model. Uh, because I'm trusting suppliers to report their wins, um, which happen offline. Um, and people are going to be dishonest and forgetful. And so I really thought hard about that um, because basically they were pushing me down the line of, you know, you've got to charge per lead. So I launched with both models, but my heart was always in the pay on success model and backing myself. And um I really disproved those critics of, of that model because um, people were honest. Pe that's the refreshing conclusion 
of the business is that the suppliers we work with, they report back their wins to us. We monitor, we, we follow up with both sides and we know when business has been won. And um, it, it's such a refreshing conclusion that people are more honest than you think. So I rapidly phased out that per lead model um, within six months of launching the business. I think probably what gave me confidence to launch this uh, trust-based model is uh, that I worked with the Japanese for 15 years. I actually speak Japanese um, amongst a few other languages. And in their culture, in their business culture, um, there's a lot of emphasis on relationships of trust and building that trust over the long term. And so I think that's what ultimately pushed me over the line with this trust model. And um, three and a half thousand clients later, I can truly say <laughs> it's worked and the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, people give uh, small businesses a lot less credit than what's due. And they, you know, there's no reason to be cynical about their integrity. And I mean, running, uh, you know, a company, I can tell you the same uh, journey we've been through in terms of uh, wondering why should we pay somebody for a lead? And like you rightly mentioned, the lead may not be a high quality lead, not pre-qualified. And, you know, then there are businesses out there which uh, will charge you for a meeting. And it just feels so transactional. And I have not met a single company who would not be uh, happy to pay a referral fee or a success fee, like you mentioned. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm glad you listened to your heart and, uh, you know, struck out the, uh, the per lead model and stuck with this. And like you said, yeah, the proof of the pudding after 3,500 companies is, is, is so wonderful to know. And the other question that I had, I mean, before I jump into the next business question, is I was reading that you could speak six languages, if I'm not wrong. Uh, uh, what are those languages? Okay, so it's five. <laughs> yeah, um, I have a passion for learning about other cultures. Right. And I sort of decided at a young age, the only way to really do that is to um, learn the languages that are spoken in those cultures. Mm -hmm. So I studied Japanese, German and French oh. at mm -hmm. university and linguistics. Um, I became a government accredited translator in Japanese and German. Um, I uh, then went on to learn Hebrew. Um, and so together with English, that makes five languages. Um, and I really think um, the languages provide that entree into other cultures, which in turn um, make you a more open, diverse-minded thinker. Um, and in business, I guess that's a good thing, that you're always open to new ideas, to new approaches. And um, having lived and worked in five countries, I've really tried to take the best of the best of each culture or country I've been exposed to. So I mentioned earlier that from Japan, I got that trust instinct in business. Um, from my 10 years living in New York and San Francisco, you know, I got a taste for the scale of business, the opportunity that's out there in the world, and, and also the speed at which people make decisions, which um, for, for better or worse, you know, it, it's much slower in Australia. So that did frustrate me when I came home um, to Sydney, which is my hometown, after spending all that time overseas. Um, uh, 
And I lived in Israel for nine months, which really gave me the entrepreneurial bug. And it was after I came back from Israel that I really decided to um, start out um, with my own business, having spent 20 years in the corporate sector. Wow, that's quite an incredible journey. And yeah, absolutely, I agree. I mean, I absolutely am terrible at uh, learning new languages. So I have a lot of respect for people who can. Uh, you know, I even if I try to learn a few languages, and I have tried and failed miserably, so I can absolutely... <laughs> I'm sure not. I'm sure you're being modest there, Abby. No, no not at all. I mean, I, it's just that, you know, uh, I, I guess... I just don't have the knack for it or maybe I don't have enough people to sort of practice it with or something. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's so much that we can learn from, you know, sort of different cultures and something that we are trying to do as well, you know, trying to build, uh, you know, cross-border teams. And, you know, the one thing that I feel very excited about is, uh, you know, not only just the cultural nuances, but also the fact that, you know, everyone brings something to the table. So a team in Eastern Europe, you know, brings some degree of, you know, that let's go get it attitude and, you know, our team in the Philippines, you know, they're always a happy bunch and they are always, you know, you know, so friendly and they have a very positive outlook towards work and life. And our team in Singapore, for instance, is very detail oriented and, you know, they, they get into the specifics. So, I mean, it's, it's just so fabulous. And, and I think it's so important for an entrepreneur and, you know, for all the uh, young entrepreneurs listening in, what Sharon said is something you know, we must absolutely try and live in a few different countries and try to get the best of, you know, all these different regions and economies. And, and now that there are so many digital nomad visas, I think uh, it's easier than ever to do uh, some of these things. So moving on to our, you know, conversation about Matchboard, what's next for Matchboard in terms of uh, are you uh, growing geographically? Are you looking to sort of uh, embed more technology or let's say AI into the platform? Or are you sort of expanding to different services? Where, where do you see Matchboard headed uh, in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, well, COVID definitely shook things up uh, last year. And uh, the positive side to it is that I think it gave everyone an opportunity to really step back and look at their business and um, perhaps think of new angles and pivots. Mm. Um, in Matchboard's case, um, we launched last year um, matchmaking events online, which um, took our matchmaking concept into a different setting. And basically what we did was um, we uh, partner uh, with a different vendor each event and we fill the virtual room, if you like, with mm. potential clients for them. Right. So we, we matchmake um the, the vendor to the job title, the company size, the industry that they want to target. Um, and we get anywhere between 10 and 30 executives in these virtual matchmaking events environments. So that's one of the new things we launched. And once we launched it, it, it just went berserk. Um, so that's something we're absolutely going to grow in 2021. One of the... Um, interesting differentiators for our events is we run them at lunchtime. So we actually send a gourmet lunch to the home office or the office oh. of each attendee for them to join, uh, enjoy during the presentation. And it sort of starts off the event on a really fun note where people hold up their, their lunch to the camera and we do a bit of networking before the presentation kicks off. Um, and so I really think um, 
we've got quite a unique event concept, but probably what's most unusual about it uh, and what's disruptive is that the events industry generally for these sort of um, executive roundtable style events charges per event. You know, you'll, you'll ask an event organizer to put together an event, they'll go to their marketing database and, and they'll do that for you. In Matchboard's case, we charge half the fee of um, any other events organizer and then we take a success fee if the vendor wins business from it. So again, we're backing ourselves um, with a success fee, which we obviously carried over from our online matching model. Um, and so the vendors love that because, again, they're used to paying for trade shows and, and business events um, and um, conferences, conference sponsorships that cost an absolute fortune. And more often than not, people would walk away and they would question, was that really worth it? Probably we won't do that next year. <laughs> and I heard that a lot. Um, and so the event, online events was something great to come out of COVID for us that we're going to grow um, in 2021. Um, and you also mentioned geographical expansion. So um, we have developed a licensing model to take our platform international. So we are actually actively looking. Um, we've only just started the search um, in the Asia-Pac region for um, a company that may want to operate this exact model in their region mm -hmm. and have exclusive rights to that region. Um, we already started that model in the UK. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, we have a developing business over there. Um, but really, the world's our oyster. I think after eight years, we've got a really proven story. So um, being an online business, there's no barriers in, in developing this in other countries. Um, that definitely is, is a growth opportunity. Um, apart from that, I think we'll just pursue double-digit growth for our core business. Um, half of which comes through SEO and content marketing. So we'll very much continue the emphasis on that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's fantastic. In fact, I mean, uh, just a couple of observations for the first thing that you mentioned, and uh, maybe because I've not had my breakfast yet is uh, when you talk about the, the gourmet lunch being sent, uh, that just paints such a lovely picture of, uh, you know, building a community. So I think everything that you've said today uh, so far, it just gives me a sense that, you know, you do, you know, sort of run your business uh, from the heart. And in the sense, it's not always about, uh, you know, this is how the world does the business and that's how we should do it too. And, you know, uh, and that, that, that's my first observation. It, it just gives a sense of uh, a community uh, in the sense a truly collaborative environment where uh, suppliers and, you know, all the businesses come together and they are sort of, you know, tied together with this common thread, which is Matchboard. And, 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 and the other thing, you know, that comes to mind when you yeah, spoke about, uh, you know, the speed dating model in a way is the fact that, you know, yes, absolutely. We have been to conferences and I have promised myself never to go again. And some of the most hyped events in our uh, industry, technology and fintech and this and that. And you go there and you have like 10 people who are talking about their own companies and have their own agendas and then yes there is a very boring and mundane networking session where nobody really networks and they are on their phones 
and then you're like can't wait to get out of this place so so i think the the way you describe uh, you know your virtual conference or the virtual event is a lot more appealing and in fact uh, i'm going to check back with you when we can attend one of those uh, later <laughs> okay sounds good avi yeah absolutely and the other thing i wanted to ask and since you mentioned uh, you know the franchise model is the fact that uh, do you see that you know because a lot of businesses that we speak with and a lot of businesses that you know we work with as our clients as our partners you know they are all trying to scale up and they all try to think about you know franchising model so how do you uh, sort of advise them in terms of you know how do you build some intellectual property uh, do you have very clear guidelines or sops how do you ensure that you know level of quality across regions and and so what have been your own preparations uh, going into this exercise mm. Well, I have to admit I'm on a learning curve myself, so I won't um say that I know it all, but um yeah, look it's very important to have documentation of um the processes, um the, you know, standard email responses mm. uh and, and sort of provide almost a manual to your partner rather than just you know take the license fee and say away you go um i think the biggest mistake people can make is underestimating the time and effort involved certainly in my case um with the uk um i did think that you know within a few months i would be able to hand over and and just operate hands free mm. but what i found was you know in the first year with the licensee we had um was you know every couple of days calls after hours it was you know when flights were available it was going across to to london and and spending time away from the family mm. uh you got to think about are you willing to make those commitments because um going global is very glamorous yeah and it sounds good and definitely if you can crack it it's um a big plus in terms of the valuation of your business um and all those things but um it is incredibly hard work yeah. and um particularly the first year uh and so you know i would not attempt to do five markets in the same year sort of thing one or two would be the absolute maximum otherwise you can't do justice so as um as ambitious and as as fast moving as i like to be i think you've really got to bed down um those relationships and, and be prepared to put in a massive effort absolutely and i think i mean like you said you know it's a learning curve it's always a learning curve for an entrepreneur and a founder and and i'm sure whatever your experiences are from the uk uh, experience you know you can take a lot of them into other markets as well some of the things like you said you might not have anticipated the other thing i always say uh, to budding entrepreneurs is that there's no such thing as a side gig uh you know people have this uh very uh you know sort of glamorized idea in, in their heads about oh, I'll start a business and then within a few months uh, there'll be series a or pre series a and then we'll be sitting on a 100 million dollar company and then I'll exit and I'll be uh sipping martinis and smoking cuban cigars and that <laughs> that, 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 that not quite like that is it <laughs> not at all i mean either yeah. it's not or we've been doing it wrong all along but uh, <laughs> but 
but yeah absolutely i mean it's, it's a learning curve and you know you got to enjoy that uh, process as well and uh, yeah i get what you mean you know about not uh, expanding too aggressively and not going into sort of multiple markets as well so uh, yeah i mean uh, you know i i hope you can expand to multiple uh, markets rather quickly and uh, yeah it will definitely be a huge uh, you know sort of stimulant to your valuation as well uh, now uh, in terms of you know you talked about earlier you know in our conversation uh, this whole concept of companies with seos uh, you know seo optimization and you know who are running google ads and now there's so much emphasis on content marketing on search engines and of course on social media as well now obviously a lot of our you know clients and a lot of businesses that we are trying to help through this podcast are you know businesses uh, which are b2b businesses that are trying to generate leads how do you see uh, you know the future of lead gen right in the sense we've spoken with a lot of uh, businesses there was a time when outbound really used to help and now there's been such a uh, emphasis on inbound uh, you know people are doing content marketing but it's it doesn't always work for smaller companies they don't have dedicated uh, you know content writers they don't have uh, you know people who are generating blogs and resources and ebooks and all of those uh, you know things so of course there is matchboard <laughs> so no doubt about that but let's say other than matchboard is there anything that you would recommend to smaller businesses in terms of how they should generate leads for their b2b businesses mm. yes well uh, certainly when you're a small business you've usually got a lean budget and you've got to be creative and think outside the box um seo uh, worked for me, I guess, at least in the beginning, because I enjoy business writing, and so I, I could do that. But I recognise that a lot of people don't have that skill. Um, so apart from SEO, which, by the way, is becoming much harder than it used to be. Absolutely. I mean, there are a billion blogs out there in blogosphere, and um, and the number of um, organic. Um, <clears throat> appearances in search results is shrinking as there are more ads appearing um, so yeah you've got to look beyond that but I would say there's no one silver bullet you've really got to have a multi-pronged strategy something that worked very well for Matchboard is um, well there are a couple of things one is PR so getting in a story um, into the media whether it's starting off with a small niche trade publication or whether it's a mainstream um, uh, daily news media outlet, I think um, easier than people think, actually. A, lo a lot of people are scared by approaching media, but the journalists and the editors, they need content. They need, they're hungry for good stories. So it's actually a symbiotic thing. If you can provide them that, then it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So it's just a case of working out um, what do readers want and um, pitching editors. Don't be afraid would be my advice to, to um, contact um, some big publications, but just don't keep it, don't make it long winded, get straight to the point. And no one's interested if, you know, XYZ company grew 30% in the last month. So, you know, you've got to understand what, is a newsworthy story what um, appeals to readers, often things with emotional content. Uh, you know, the story of a first-generation immigrant, self-made 
um, success um, who's changed people's lives in some way. That sort of thing appeals. Um, okay, so apart from PR, um, one of the strategies, at least for a B2B business that I've found extremely successful is LinkedIn. Um, and everyone's heard of LinkedIn, but it's the way you use it. So I think of it as a free lunch because without paying for advertising, you can achieve um, so much on that platform. Building followers, building your brand, both both personal brand and your company brand. Um, and uh, when I look at how Matchboard wins its business, um, I, I factor that um, LinkedIn accounts for about 10% mm -hmm. of, our, of our leads that come through. And when I look at the amount of time I spend personally on LinkedIn, um, you know, the ROI is absolutely there. But it's not something you can just put your profile up and forget. You have to invest in it. Uh, so, again, it comes down to where people spend their time. Um, apart from PR and LinkedIn, I would say um, just keeping front of mind is important. So, mm. for me, it's as simple as a monthly newsletter. And inevitably, we, we get repeat business um, or, or new business through that. We have several thousand subscribers. Uh, as much as people may love you, they forget about you. And it, it's no hard feelings, but you've got to stay front of mind. So it doesn't take that much to put together um, a newsletter using a simple template. Um, and I'm sure digital agencies like yours can help, Avi. Um, but... Uh, I, I do believe that ongoing engagement is important and um, cross-selling and upselling to existing clients is um, a faster way to grow your business than trying to attract new ones. Absolutely. I mean, I must say that's the, the best piece of advice I've heard in a very, very long time. I mean, the way you uh, summarized and crystallized it is, uh, you know, something I'm sure, you know, the listeners of the podcast would be very grateful for because those are the kind of things that you know, sometimes you take 15 years to learn, right? Uh, doing it the hard way, uh, you know, the, the lovely combination of PR. And, and again, you rightly uh, pointed out how people are scared and people feel they are not important enough. And they have this uh, mystical uh, idea of what uh, the editors and journalists want and whether we are worthy of that uh, content or not. So that's, that's fabulous. And LinkedIn, of course, you know, there are so many uh, founders, entrepreneurs, marketing managers, and marketing directors out there who are not really utilizing uh, LinkedIn as well as they could have, right? So, and of course, you know, uh, and the other thing that I always uh, keep telling my team and some of our clients is we have to stay relevant, right? Something that you uh, pointed out in terms of, you know, out of sight is out of mind. And it's not about, and not to take it personally, but the fact is the clients are, you know, running businesses as well. In fact, we were speaking to one of our, you know, old clients and we said, hey, we haven't done any business together. And, uh, you know, then, you know, we were assuming things about, well, they don't like us anymore. What's happened? Whatever. We are trying to introspect. Did we do anything wrong? Have we not been servicing them well? And then we just realized there have been massive organizational changes in the company. And, you know, people are still trying to figure out what they are doing. There's a lot of chaos there. So it had nothing to do with us. And we all it did was, reach out to them we sent out a newsletter and three days later one of them reached out and said hey what are we doing for 2021 so so invaluable piece of advice thank you so much for that 
Uh, oh, no worries. Yeah, just staying in front of people, whether it's a newsletter or LinkedIn. Um, and also, you know, you can make a list uh, each month of um, a group, a small group of clients you just want to check in with. I mean, what better time than the new year to yeah. check in with people Um see you know how they fared during the COVID crisis and position yourself as wanting to be helpful is there any way we can work together to help to help you uh, in 2021 and, and people um, are very um, ready to have those conversations so uh, again be proactive would be the best advice <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, being proactive also comes from, you know, uh, empathy and compassion. A lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of what I heard from you today uh, seems to stem from that as well. So I think that genuine uh, desire to help companies and people is, uh, and in fact, you know, it's been an observation and we just realized, you know, like, for instance, when we hire project managers or account managers, and over the years, we've tried a lot of, you know, they should know this much about technology. They should have been developers themselves or programmers themselves, or they should have been business analysts or not. And finally, after so many years of so many trial and error sort of techniques, what we finally uh, come to the conclusion, and maybe we'll continue learning here as well, is the fact that the only thing that's required is some degree of emotional intelligence, right? So just very commonsensical things to do and just reach out to your clients and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help? And I heard you were, you know, a bit uh, unhappy about something that transpired between you and our technology team. Is there anything I can do to assist? So yeah, just these small little things uh, which are becoming more and more rare these days and uh, what we try to inculcate in our teams as well in terms of, you know, try to understand, try to help people. Uh, and it's not just, and, and pick up the phone and call them, you know, it's nice to actually uh, meet people and speak to them uh, when there's yeah, no pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. And if COVID taught us anything, I think it's um, to be more human. And, and that's a great thing in business. I personally um, have noticed I start my emails off differently yeah. since COVID. You know, you just want to check in first and see how people are doing. You want to show some some thought about them as a person. Everyone's a human at the end of the day, even though they may be part of a business. So you've got to treat them as such. Absolutely. I mean, and, and again, you know, as we say again, people buy for people and not from companies and organizations. So it's so important to have that sort of human interaction, that connection and, and something that everything that you said about whether it's your, you know, events uh, or just the very premise of the business model. It sounds like, you know, you start and plan things based on this desire to actually help people. And, and I think uh, it's so wonderful to actually uh, hear about an organization that's happy to be uh, paid for results and not just about, hey, we are doing you a big favor. Every lead we generate, you got to pay uh, for that. So we'll do everything we can to uh, evangelize uh, Matchboard. I think it's absolutely uh, a wonderful concept and, and you know, uh, and uh, great success and, and, you know, very, very well deserved. So, I mean, the final question that I would like to ask you uh, before we let you go is uh, you speak five languages. You mentioned that you do business writing as well. Uh, and uh, is there something that uh, Sharon can't do? And uh, secondly, what's next for Sharon personally? I mean, is it a sixth country to live in? Is it another venture? Is it uh, something uh, non-business related, something that you're looking forward to uh, in 2021? 
Yeah, well, that's a big question. Um, there are so many things <laughs> I am hopeless at and don't know about, which I would love to get into with time. Um, you know, having learnt foreign languages, um, I guess, and, and now, you know, running a technology-based um, business, um, it would sort of be a natural evolution for me to learn a computer language. So I'm actually thinking about doing that and, um, you know, trying to decide which one because there's a lot out there and there seems to be a new language popping up every year. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. And just um, learning more about the relationship between AI and humans because I've always been such a believer in the, the human connection. And then I, like in my more young, naive years, I thought of technology as, you know, someone opening up a computer and fiddling around with a motherboard or opening the boot of a car and, boot bonnet of a car and looking at the engine and all that boring stuff. But when you think about what technology can achieve, um, whether it's saving people's lives or, um, you know, lifting people from poverty, and, and if you focus on those outcomes, technology is such an amazing thing. So I have a mission this year to sort of read up more about that um, relationship between humans and AI, which I think will help create a better tomorrow. But I want to learn more. Um, so that's one of my goals. I mean, I must say that was uh, totally unexpected. <laughs> and, <laughs> and again, you sort of continue to surprise us. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. In fact, you've given me uh, you know, the topic for our next conversation. Uh, so next time uh, we have our podcast with you, we are going to talk about the relationship between artificial intelligence and humans. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, we wish you all the best uh, for 2021 and congratulations on all the success, Sharon. It was wonderful having you here on the podcast and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you.